0: Hello and welcome to the BVC podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. In some situations, for the spread of God's gospel, when when you worship in a crowd like that, when they sing those songs, you're like, man, these people have paid a price to sing these songs. So it was, it was a, a really encouraging and inspiring time, and uh, and I'm excited to uh, to be sharing with you uh, some of the ways that we as a church are going to be partnering with the Vineyard around the world. So we'll be talking about those things in, in the months to come. So uh, before I begin my message. Let me say a word of prayer over it. So uh, so God, I thank you for um, for the spread of your gospel. We pause this morning and we pray for uh, churches throughout the world uh, for the spread of your gospel. God, for those Christians who are operating in persecuted countries, for those men and women who are doing the very same thing that we are doing right now, but that, uh, that are doing it at the risk. Of imprisonment or death, God, we pray that you would continue to give them courage. For every person who is uh, preaching or sharing the Word of God to those who have never even heard about Jesus Christ, I pray that you would open up the ears of people and the hearts of people to accept Jesus Christ in a way that they've never had before. And God, we know that uh, your kingdom needs resources, so I pray that you would provide every good thing for those who are on the mission field doing your work. And for this word this morning, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit and your glory would be upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as uh, many of you know, uh, Gwen and I enjoyed an amazing celebration this summer. Our our son got married. That was our first child. This is my favorite picture from the wedding because... Uh, right in the middle of the ceremony, uh, Gwen and I and Aubrey's parents gathered around and laid hands and prayed for them. There's another very similar picture to this, but you could tell a lot clearer in that picture that I was bawling my eyes out. Um, oh, don't change them yet. Um, go, go back, go back to that one. Um, so yeah, so uh, so we were gathered around them, and and you know it was just a moment. for those of you parents who. You know, married child, or for those of you who have been married, there's, it's just such a, a moment of celebration, right? All of these emotions and all of these years and expectations kind of come into that moment. And there are some uh, kind of iconic examples of celebration, like at the end of, of World War II, there was this famous image. And just, again, the end of a war and all of the emotion that's tied into that. We have New Year's Eve celebrations, right? Especially the last couple of New Year's Eve. I think we've celebrated a little bit more because we actually survived another year. The last few years have been tough, and so we celebrate that. Every year we celebrate our birthday and just uh, kind of the attention is on us. Hey, this is a year you were born, and so our family and friends come around and celebrate. Graduation from high school or college, just the accomplishment of all of the hard work and and everything that's done, and and even for, for those of you today's Sunday is football. Sports fans are these images of uh, in athletics, of teams celebrating. I'd asked my research team to to find just some random picture of a sports team celebrating, and I'm like, oh, well, oh yeah, yeah said, You know what this is? Just uh, what a coincidence. That that's uh, that's Team Canada in the 2002 Beijing Olympics. The women's hockey team defeating America to win the gold medal. Just a random picture. I'll have to talk to my research team about that. But an expression of celebration, right? So if I were to ask you, what would your image be up there? What was the last celebration that you had? What's the next celebration that you would have that you would put up there and say, that that was me celebrating. That was something that I have or will be celebrating. All of those images, the ones that I showed, particularly the Canadian one, is a very accurate image of celebration. But none of those images, including the ones that you thought of, really compares to the greatest image of celebration. And that is just the image of God on His throne. Not God doing anything or accomplishing anything. but just the person of God on His throne is the single most accurate, poignant image of celebration. Which some of you may find a little bit ironic because some of us have an image of God or have been taught an image of God that doesn't cause us to think of Him or see Him as being celebratory. A lot of us have grown up and have kind of maybe received some bad theology where we get presented the idea of this angry God looking down on us, waiting to punish us. Some of us have lived in condemning church cultures that have uh, really used shame and condemnation to try to modify behavior. And so that that image of this judgment and condemnation, we kind of project that back onto God and, and we see God through that. And then some of us, because of our own shame and our own guilt, we kind of see God through those lenses. And we kind of think of God as being condemning because we're seeing Him through our own shame. And so all of us here, in one way or another, have struggled in how we see God and whether we see God as a loving, kind, gracious, celebratory God or whether we see God sometimes as a little bit angry. What's interesting is when you look at the Scripture, you see that the Bible paints a much different picture of God if you choose to see it. Did you know that God was the very first being to celebrate? It tells us in the Genesis account of creation that when God was done with everything, He stood back and He saw that all that He had did was good. If we could have like had a camera on that moment, You could almost see God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit like standing back and just like looking at everything and going, oh man, it's perfect. And each of them kind of high-fiving one another. It's like, man, we did it. That's amazing. Like that was a moment of celebration in the existence of God. The creation is where we first see God celebrating. But that's not, not the last place we see God celebrating. Fast forward a whole bunch of generations, and God is just forming his body. He's forming his church. He's forming his people. And he says to the, to the Israelites, He says, I'm going to give you a law. I'm going to give you rules to, to live by. And one of the sets of rules that I'm going to live by is that you need to party once in a while. That was actually in the book of the law. You've got to have a party you got to make food, invite people over, have music, and just party. God actually made celebration a spiritual obligation. Think about that. Think about the fact that you serve a God, that when He had an opportunity to put a rule book together, one of the rules that He included was seven, eight, nine times a year, I want you to have a festival and celebrate the good things in life. And if you really stood back from a 10,000 foot view and looked past and looked forward, what you would see is that everything that God has done throughout the entire course of history is in preparation of the greatest celebration in history. That is what God is doing. God is preparing us for a celebration. Today we're continuing our series called Embracing the Journey. And I shared last week when we began this series that there's going to be a number of things that we learn about in this series, and firstly, we're going to learn why the journey matters. Why it matters what happens between point A and point B. Why being a Christian and having this relationship with God means that it's not just about getting from one point to another, but it's what happens in between those points. That's what matters. What happens in us. And what we do along the way matters. We're going to learn during this series, what God can do through a journey that He can't do through a miracle. And as much as we might want, and and as a church, we believe in and we pray for miracles and we welcome miracles, but there are things that God can do in you and I through a journey that He can't do through a miracle. And finally, we're going to learn how our destination-driven culture blinds us so often to the preparation that God wants to do in us. If you're like me and I look back on my life, I recognize the hundreds and hundreds of moments in time where God had set something up for me to learn, set something up to mature me, set something up to develop something within me. But I was in such a rush that I blew right through that and didn't even know what God was doing. I made my own way or I We live in such a driven culture that we do that so often. So today's message, the second in this series, is called A Journey of Celebration. And to begin, we're going to take a look at a very familiar story, and that's the story of the prodigal son. We're actually going to look at the second half of the story. The first half of the story, as you might remember, a father had two sons, and the youngest of the son uh, came to his father, and this is essentially what he said to his father. He said, you know... I can't wait for you to die, so can you liquidate your assets and give me half of them? And amazingly enough, the father acquiesced and liquidated his assets, gave them to the son, and then the son, speaking about journeys, began a journey of wandering and squandering. And at the end of his journey, he had hit rock bottom, and this well-to-do Jewish boy was feeding pigs. And in that moment, he realized I'd be better off as a servant in my father's house. So he began the journey back to his father. And when a long way off, the father sees him and runs out to him. The young man falls on his knees and says, I'm not worthy, but please let me be your servant. And that's where we pick up the story. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son who was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard a music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf uh, and has had him uh, back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes uh, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. You could probably preach a thousand different sermons, literally, out of this story. But the lesson that we're going to draw out and look at from this story is that God uses the journey to teach us about His heart of celebration and our need of celebration. God does something in the journey and along the way to teach us the importance of celebration. Why celebration is woven into the fabric of His heart, and why and how He uses the journey to weave celebration into your heart and my heart. For a practical purpose, we put some iconic, memorable celebrations up there on the screen. But when God calls us to celebrate, it's not just those once-in-a-lifetime iconic celebrations. When God talks about celebration, what He's talking about is He's talking about capturing the daily moments in which the goodness of God breaks through in our life. Capturing the moment and pausing and recognizing and allowing ourselves to express and to experience joy. What celebration is, is being aware of everything that God is doing around you, in you, through you, through other people. You are just seeing the goodness of God everywhere you turn, and you are allowing your emotions to engage with the goodness of God. You're allowing yourself the time to just stop and experience the good thing and to express joy over it. Wow! Look at that sunset. How many of you have ever sat on a beach and watch the sunset. That is an absolutely spiritual experience, isn't it? You just sit there and you're just amazed by it. Or, Or maybe just, God answers a very simple prayer. Nothing huge, no news cameras, but it's just a moment in your life where, you know, I just asked God to do that and He did it. Those are the moments of celebrations in our lives where where we recognize that God just used another person. Part of celebration is, is seeing the goodness of God in other people and saying, hey, I want to celebrate your ability. I want to celebrate what you just did there. I want to celebrate who you are. That's what celebration means. When we, we come together, these are called celebration services. Worship is a time of celebration. So when I talk today, about celebration. I'm not just talking about those epic moments, but I'm talking about weaving in to the rhythm of our lives the appreciation of God's goodness in experiencing and expressing joy for all of those things. And I don't think we do that often enough. I think so many of us are so busy and so many of us are so destination-driven that we overlook a lot of God's goodness to us. We become numb to the goodness of God. We become blind to the things that He does. And we see things, but we don't allow our emotions the time to really embrace those things. And in a way, our busyness is robbing us of the joy of celebration. And God wants that to be different in our lives. I actually think that for those who are outside of these walls looking in, that one of the things that they should recognize about us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we are a people of celebration. That we relentlessly celebrate. That they should look at you and I as Christians and wonder... Why are they always celebrating? What do they have to celebrate? And God wants to use the journey to build that into our lives. So we're going to take a look at a few things that the journey does for us and what the journey teaches us about celebration. And the first thing we're going to look at is that the journey reveals God's heart of celebration. The journey reveals God's heart for celebration. For those of you who are parents, or who have had parents, which should include all of you, you're probably aware of what I call this parental dichotomy. An emotional dichotomy that you have as parents. And that is between deeply, passionately loving your children, but also wanting your children to learn a lesson. You know what I'm talking about as parents? You love your kids. You don't want them to fail. You don't want them to to be hurt. You want to protect them. You want to set them up in life so that everything is easy for them. But yet you know, as a parent, unless they learn their lessons, they're not going to be ready for life. So sometimes you have to, while you're teaching your kid to ride a bike, sometimes you have to let go of that bike knowing full well that they may fall and scrape their knee, but they can't learn how to ride a bike otherwise, right? So we find ourselves as parents caught in this tension or this dichotomy of really loving our kids, but sometimes having to stand back and go, oh, this is hurting me, but they've got to learn this lesson. The father in the prodigal son parable clearly must have dealt with that tension and that dichotomy. In that moment when he saw the son, you would have to think that, yes, his heart was broken and his heart was glad to see his son. But, oh my goodness, there had to be a lot of other emotions going on in the father's heart at that time. It would be very understandable if the father said, you know, I love you, but let's just put a pin in the celebration right now. I've got a few questions to ask. Like, if I was that father and my son had taken half of all of my possessions and then come back sometime later and said he had squandered all of it, I think I would ask a few questions. Like, by squandering, do you mean like completely squandered? Like, is there any anywhere? Like, did you leave some in a bank account? Did you loan some money out that we could like ask for it back? Like, is it all... Can you just walk me through how you spent all this money? Like, that'd be a natural question to ask, right? Where did it all go? I would have asked that. How about this question? Wouldn't you want to know as a parent the sincerity of the son's contrition? Are you here just because you had nowhere else to go? Are you here just because you need me? Or are you sincerely contrite for what you've Done. I think that'd be a fair question. How about all of the relational pain and the relational broken brokenness, and the and the rebuilding of trust? Like, can we sit down and talk? Like, why did you feel that you needed to do this? And 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 how do I know you're not going to do this again? I mean, can we put in some boundaries? Like, I know you're back. And and can we kind of have like a graduating level where our relationship is restored? But I'm not quite ready to just allow you completely back. Maybe let's do some family therapy before we have a party. Like all of those things would have been fair to ask. But that's not at all what the Father did. It says this, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. The Father called for a celebration without requiring any restitution. Think about that. You don't have to do anything. I want to celebrate over you. See, what this story tells us is that the Father loves you and I so much that no matter where we are in our life, no matter what we've done, how bad we've messed up, what type of condition we're in, the Father always looks at us and finds a reason to celebrate over us. Imagine that. Even at your worth, the Father finds a reason to celebrate over you. The Father finds a reason for celebration even in the midst of our imperfection. Even in the midst of our glaring imperfection, God says, wait a second. I see something in you that I want to celebrate. It's in the journey of life that we are confronted over and over again with our own imperfection. And in those moments where our imperfection comes to the surface is where God demonstrates His celebration over us. And it happens time and time again. And what God says is, listen, I want to take you on a journey. And throughout this journey, you're going to trip, you're going to stumble, and you're going to fall. but I want to be there with you on that journey so that you understand that every time you do, I'm still going to celebrate over you. We're going to have to do this long enough so that you never question that I want to celebrate over you. So no matter where you are today or how you felt walking through those doors, here's the amazing truth. That right now God is celebrating over you. The minute you walk through those doors, God was in heaven saying, Yes! Yes, they're here! I'm so thankful. The minute your voice sang the first lyric of the first song, God said, yes, they're singing, even if you have a voice like mine. God celebrates that. God's the only one who celebrates my voice. He celebrates when we lift our voice, when we lift our hands. And any of you who in worship are so far yet today, any of you who felt like you heard something from God and received that, God celebrated that last. I said something and they heard it. Any one of you who, who, in this moment, realized, you know what I need I need to go back and do something different, And in that moment, that kind of act of repentance, God celebrated that like right now, God is celebrating over each and every one of you, and he wants us to know, and the point of this story is for us to understand the relentless heart of celebration that God, that God has for, he, for you excuse me, for you and for me. Second thing that we learned from this story is that the journey restores our heart through celebration. It restores our heart. My goodness, the, the prodigal son, man, he needed restoration. See, he he returned physically, but it didn't automatically mean that he was going to be restored relationally or emotionally, right? And he understood this. He understood I may go back. And and at best, my father might let me come back physically. But he had no expectations of being restored relationally or emotionally. That's why he said, I'll just be your servant. Because I don't really expect you to restore me. I realize that ship has sailed. I've dug my own grave. I've made my own bed. And I'll just lay in it. And I, I know I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. But just let me come back. And I have no expectations of being restored relationally or emotionally. But again, the father did something surprising. This is what the father had said. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, without getting into all of the, the imagery in, in the Jewish culture of what those things meant, everything that the father did was restorative. Everything that the father did was meant to restore the dignity and the identity of the son. In essence, when the father put the ring on the son's finger, in those days a signet ring carried the authority of the father. So that if you had that signet ring, it would be the same as your father giving you a credit card that had no limit on it. It was a sign of trust. You could take that signet ring and you could make and access to everything that the father had. So when that ring was placed on the son's finger, it was the father saying, you are back. In every way, you are back. I trust you. I love you. You are fully restored. That is absolutely mind-boggling. Because who of us here would give somebody a second chance who had done what the younger son did to us? But that's what the father did to the son father used the celebration to cause restoration in the son's heart. He celebrated over the son so that the son would believe that his father loved him and was celebrating over him. I shared this uh, once before, uh, but a number of years ago, actually before we even moved here to Brownsburg. This is a season in my life where I felt very much like the prodigal son. I had not been living the very best version of myself. And and I was at this conference and worship was going on. And, and you ever be in a, in, a, in a place where everybody else is worshiping, but you feel like you're on the outside looking in? You ever been in one of those places? So uh, that's what I was experiencing. I was kind of interloping on this worship thing. And I'd been on the inside before. I knew that what that felt like, but I didn't feel it in this moment. So I was very much standing on the outside, watching worship, not really engaging. So I actually went to the back of the room, which felt physically appropriate not to be part of it. So I was standing there, and I just started praying, and God gave me this vision. And I was kind of in this vision, kind of in these tattered clothes, and God opens up this closet, and he says, Dennis, I have these robes for you. And so I saw myself taking a robe out and putting it on, and there were two problems with the robe. And one was that the robe was way too big for me. I felt diminutive spiritually at that point in my life. The other problem with the robe is it was ornate. It was a wealthy robe, a very expensive robe. And at that point in my life, I didn't believe that I deserved that. And I remember having this conversation with God. I said, God, this robe doesn't fit, and it doesn't feel appropriate for me. And this is what God said to me. He said, Dennis, I only have. only have one type of robe. It's all or nothing, Dennis. This is all I got. Either you're my son or you're not my son. In that moment, seeing the Father and feeling the Father's willingness to fully restore me, to fully welcome me back in, just broke me. In that moment, all of the pain and all of the brokenness and all of the guilt and all of the shame was washed away as the my robes of, of shame and unworthiness with these robes of identity and dignity. And I want you to know that right now, there is nothing that God wants for your life and my life more than this. is to restore every part of you that feels like it's disconnected from God. And what God is wanting to do is to bring every area of your life every event in your life, and just bring it in to His embrace and just celebrate over you in this moment. It's all or nothing. There are no uh, kind of half-citizens or stepchildren or adopted children or rejected children in the kingdom of God. Here's the last thing that the journey teaches us about celebration is that the journey refocuses our eyes on the celebration. The two saddest things about this story is that the youngest son had to travel thousands of miles away and had to break the father's heart before he was able to see how good his father was. Even sadder is that the older brother, who never went anywhere, never did see the goodness of God. The story clearly implies that the Father was a good, loving, kind, generous, benevolent Father. The Father in this parable is the image of of God. Uh, In this parable, you, you get the clear implication that the Father was not a stranger to celebration. Like, if you know it, if he said to the, he he just gave some some overview instructions to the servant, get a fabulous calf, get the process going. Essentially, that's what he said. You guys know what to do. We're having a celebration. And that's all he said. And you know that there were banquet tables in a garage somewhere. There were tablecloths stored away. Uh, They knew where the fine china was and where the silver was. They knew what they were doing. As soon as he said celebration, that kicked off this whole protocol. And all of the servants knew what they had to do to get ready for a celebration. Why? is because they had done it before. This wasn't the first celebration. It was part of who the father was. So the sons grew up, both of the sons grew up in this home that was incredibly loving and generous and celebratory and had a father who was so kind, but they never recognized it. When the oldest son came to the father, he said this, he said, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate it with my friends. I want you to know that that whole sentence was a complete lie. <laughs> it was a complete untruth. Sadly, it's what the older son believed because he was blinded to the father's goodness. First of all, he was anything but a slave. He had never been a slave in a way, he had the privilege to work for a generous father. It wasn't true that he had obeyed everything that his father had asked of him. Both those of you who are fathers or who ever had a father, how many of you could ever say to your father, I never disobeyed you once? Anyone? None of us here can say to our father, I've never disobeyed you. We know that's a flat-out lie, right? But in his own mind, I think he was so blinded but to his father's grace that he lived in such fear and such legalism but what he was trying to do is to never disappoint his father, so in his mind he had never done anything wrong, but he was living in such a legalistic and narrow lane, and he had missed out on the wide lane of grace that his father would have allowed him to live in, and then finally he says, You never even gave me a goat. How many of us parents have ever had our children say to us, You never get me anything? <laughs> yeah, wait till you have kids, right? So the Father says to the older son this stunning line. He says this, but we had to celebrate. Like we had to do it. And be glad because the brother, this brother of yours was dead and he is alive. He was lost and now he's found. And what the Father was saying is, listen, if we don't celebrate, we will become blind to the good things that God does. If we don't celebrate, we will rob ourselves of what celebration does for our heart. Let me kind of walk you through this process that the Bible happens, that the Bible says happens in our lives in regards to celebration. And the first step is that God demonstrates his goodness in us and we fail to celebrate it. By that, we God does something good and we recognize it. We see it and we recognize it. But we don't pause long enough. We don't really express joy over it. It's maybe just a nod. But we don't really celebrate. We don't really tell anybody about it. We don't do much with it. We just we see it. We thank you, but we don't really we don't really value what God has done. Right? When we're guilty of that, then that means the next time God demonstrates His goodness to us, we fail to see it. So we go from seeing it and not celebrating to the next time we don't even see it at all. We just blow by it. And the last and the final step, and this is where the oldest son was, is God demonstrates His goodness to us and we fail to believe it. We get to the place where we say, I don't think God loves me. I don't think God wants to do anything good for me. I don't think God really celebrates over me. And we can convince ourselves that our Father is miserly, We can convince ourselves that God is unwilling to give. We can convince ourselves that God is looking at us through eyes of anger. And it's all because we fail to celebrate the little things that God does for us day in and day out. God is wanting to take you and me on a journey. And along the way, He wants to teach us how to celebrate. He wants to teach us how to have eyes to see His goodness and to celebrate those things in our lives. So if the worship team can come forward, interestingly enough, today we are going to celebrate communion. That's kind of the verbiage we use around it, right? We celebrate communion. And this is an opportunity for us to pause, to embrace, to recognize a moment that happened 2,000 years ago, A moment in which the King, the Savior of Heaven, came to earth and gave His life to bring you and I, the prodigal sons and daughters, back into relationship with God. And we have been called to remember, to celebrate, and to remember. So that's what we're going to do today. So If you want to take your communion cups with you and tear open the bread... The Bible tells us that the Jesus' body was broken for us. It kind of seems a little bit funny to celebrate it, right? To celebrate the brokenness of our Savior. But what we celebrate is that He was broken, so that we would not have to be broken. That He suffered, so that we would not have to suffer. And so, Jesus, in this moment, we want to express joy. We want to express gratitude that the Father so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son so that those who believe in Him might be saved. So we partake of the broken, blood, broken body of Jesus and we celebrate His sacrifice on our behalf. side of your communion. God, I poignantly remember goodness, that had to be over 20 years ago that day you exchanged my robes of shame and failure for robes of righteousness for robes of dignity that you washed away what needed to be washed away and you restored me. So as we partake of the juice, God, we celebrate your restoration in our life. We celebrate the fact that you wash away our sin. That you love us. And that your kindness leads to repentance. So we take of this juice and we celebrate your restoration in our life. We were going to close today Is the worship team is going to lead us in this closing song. And I'm going to ask uh, if the prayer team can come forward now. I just think there were, there were a lot of points in today's message that hopefully really intersect with where your life is right now. And if anything that I said kind of makes that point of connection, if you're here today and in any way or in any area of your life, or in the totality of your life, you you are just needing the restoration of God, I pray that you would come forward and just say, God, embrace me today. If there's any need in your life for grace, for strength, for healing, I pray that you would come forward. If there is anything that through this service the Holy Spirit has kind of highlighted in your life, I pray for you to, to come forward and just Share with these folks what God is doing in your life so that they can support you through that. If you're here today and you've never had the relationship with Father, where you've called Him your King and your God, then today you can come forward and simply say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to be embraced by the Father and be part of His kingdom. You can do that today. Stand with me. We'll sing this song together and come forward for prayer.